0: said in Matthew 28, verse 19, Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Welcome to Go Teach All Nations, bringing you Christ's teachings through Australian and international speakers. And here is today's presenter, Howard Smith.
1: I would like you to join with me in saying the 23rd Psalm together but I'd like to do it a little bit differently. There is beautiful counterpoint in the 23rd psalm about me and you and Jesus. And I'd like us to say it slowly so that we can emphasize that and see the beauty that is built into this psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death I will fear no evil for thou art with me thy rod and thy staff comfort me thou preparest A table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. My mother taught me that psalm when I was about three or four. And we used to have a lovely little Anglican minister who used to come to our small country school to take scripture. He was a little Englishman. He used to fly a tiger moth, From his parish in Wilcannia when he was younger. And after scripture one day I said, Mr. Daniels, if I say the 23rd psalm for you, would you give me a ride in your car? Because he had a Vauxhall wyvern that had chrome flutes on the bonnet. It was brown and it had goldy covered upholstery and lovely gold coloured instruments with dark needles. And he looked at me and I think he thought he was quite safe and he said, well, if you like, you could try next week. So that was fine. I had a ride in his car. <laughs> and I thoroughly enjoyed it. In the 20 years before we came to Barrow in 1999, we lived outside a little village called Perthville not near Perth, but south of Bathurst, about 15 or 20 minutes from Bathurst. And we had a lovely block of land, 32 acres, which we bought for about the price of a small car. And in that time, uh, we did lots of interesting things. We designed and built a house ourselves. We'd only been there a few weeks. And, of course, we went there in the middle of drought and one of the adventist members had a mob of about 90 sheep he found out that i had 32 acres of land that was had dry feed about a meter high and he said i have no money and no feed and i need i'm about to shoot these sheep is there any chance you could have them on your land so i said yes so i had 90 ewes in lamb I had never had anything to do with a sheep before in my life. And they were Merino sheep and uh, they had borderless of rams and of the 90 ewes I probably delivered about 85 lambs never having been a sheep midwife before. It was a very quick learning experience. And so for 20 years I after that, bred superfine merinos. One stage I suppose I had about 500 breeding ewes and I loved every minute of it. I was also teaching full time at Kelso High School. Uh, I mentioned building a house. I think I taught a Sabbath school lesson for the entire 20 years I was there and I'm not quite sure what I did in my spare time. But we We had a lovely time together. But today I would like to talk to you about sheep because I've had a little experience with them. And I'd like to mention particularly uh, the shepherd that we have all come here to worship today. Shall we just bow our heads for a moment? Loving Heavenly Father, thank you for this psalm that gives us such a clear and beautiful picture of Jesus, who is our Great Shepherd, who not only loves us as his human sheep, but died to save us so that we will be able to live with him forever. Amen. There are more references to sheep in the Bible than any other animal. Reverend J.C. Wood, in his 650-page book on Bible animals, devotes 56 pages to sheep. It's interesting that sheep appear very early in our understanding of things. In Genesis 4 and verse 2, it speaks of Abel, one of the sons of Adam and Eve, as being the world's first grazier and he bought a lamb as an offering. Sheep were very important in that time and in that culture and have been ever since and uh, they appear in enormous numbers. It, It was quite amazing to read about it. When the army of Israel... Captured the Midianites, there were 675,000 sheep, plus cattle and others. You read about that in Numbers chapter 31. At the dedication of Solomon's temple, 120,000 sheep were used as sacrificial animals. In 1 Chronicles 5, the descendants of Reuben and Gad had 250,000 sheep plus cattle plus asses. Genesis 12 and 13 describe the vast flocks of Abraham and Lot. So great were their possessions and their numbers that they separated. Lot went to the Jordan Valley which was well watered, and Abraham went to Canaan, which was also very fertile. The Bible dictionary refers to sheep and to the immense numbers of sheep in Palestine and in Bible times. It gets even more amazing. A clan of Turkmen shepherds had how many? Three million sheep plus goats and other animals. When we were living at Perth, we were surrounded by grazing properties. The man from whom I bought our land had about 1,800 acres and probably had about, at the most, 5,000 sheep and at times cattle. The property to the north of us, which was about 2,000 acres, had about five or 6,000 sheep. This is just kindergarten play compared with the Bible times we are talking about. It's interesting that in Genesis 31.19 it speaks about Laban shearing his sheep. Just imagine what that would have involved with the numbers of sheep they had. And that would have been all shearing by hand. Not with the power shears that we use these days. And at the end of their shearing time, they had a great festival. It was a wonderful occasion. And I know what that's like because when you shear sheep, as I did at the beginning of hot weather and not in the middle of winter, as many do, um, it was a wonderful occasion for the sheep because they were comfortable and cool again. Again. Sheep were an integral part of people's life and possessions. You can imagine with those sorts of numbers, they provided milk and cheese, clothing. They, of course, provided sacrificial animals and they were a means of trade and tribute. Also, it's interesting that ram skins that were dyed purple and red were used in the earthly tabernacle. Sheep were a very vital part of ancient life. It's interesting that in Job 30 it makes reference to sheep dogs. The sheep dogs in Bible times were very different from the sheep dogs of today with our border collies and kelpies and cattle dogs. They were mean looking, savage, and ferocious dogs that liked very little to do with humans. And they had a single role to guard against uh, wolves and to protect the sheep, which they did ferociously. The story is told that uh, they were very poorly treated by their owners. So these poor working dogs had a very miserable life. It's believed that sheep were among the first of domesticated animals. And early sheep were white and black or brown, often with spots, and they obviously had brown or black wool. Palestinian and Syrian sheep were big-framed, tall sheep, with enormously fat tails. These tails were amazing. Um, And they not only were large in size, they were often 125 millimetres across at the beginning of their tail, and they could be up to 375 millimetres wide at the base of their tail. And these tails weighed up to 15 kilograms, very different from the sheep of today. And the reason why these tails were uh, almost carefully looked after was because they contained an enormous amount of fat, which was regarded as a delicacy. In fact, in later times after the invention of the wheel, uh, many frames were made and attached to the tail with wheels to support the weight. So great were some of these tails. In Bible times, water was very vital for sheep. And in the Old Testament books, we read quite a lot about the, the wells And, of course, all the families in most cases were to either some extent or a large extent were nomadic because they had to move in order to find pasture. They didn't have cultivated pasture and so on as we do. Um, And this highlighted the importance of wells which were dug by so many of the the Bible families the wells became an interesting meeting place and it was at these wells where the sheep were watered just imagine the amount of work involved in drawing water from a well to water thousands of sheep and that of course was a regular thing do you know that a dry ewe, that is a ewe that is not feeding a lamb, can survive on one matchbox of oats a day and water? So you can see that in, in dry climates and dry countries, sheep are wonderful survivors. In the 20 years that we lived at Bathurst we had three droughts of up to three years and I found out that my pasture land was undersown with clover. Many writers describe and many people think of sheep as dumb and stupid animals. I would like to give you a little bit of evidence to the contrary. In When we bought our land, we were in the middle of of drought, except for my 32 acres that were covered with very good quality dry feed. But sheep are far more intelligent than we make them out to be. They know what they need to eat. And I noticed that they would scrape the ground and their little cloven foot Would scrape the ground to a depth of about 50 millimetres and then they would knock the little ridge sideways because they would have uncovered a clover burr. And a clover burr is full of protein and water. They could smell a clover burr 50 millimetres below the ground. And they could find it and eat it. And if your land was undersown with pasture, with clover, they, you'd see all these little diggings where they would look for clover burrs. They knew what they wanted to eat and what they needed to eat. In an article on sheep, Tim Chalice describes sheep as dumb, directionless defenceless, pathetic and entirely dependent. When we were building our house I was able to get a little red haired Irishman who was a builder to supervise the building of my house and he was quite a brusque man until I got to know him and one day he said to me there's only one thing sillier than a Merino and I I shouldn't but I said, and what's that? He said, anyone who has anything to do with them. And I said, that's all right for you to say that. I said, you've got first cross ewes. And I said, if you put a first cross U in a paddock, all they do is walk along the fences looking for a hole big enough to escape. And he didn't reply to that. But I love my Merinos, and... They had no desire to escape. They would have to fall through a fence uh, rather than push their way out. In the writing of Tim Chalice, he describes a situation in Iran where 400 sheep fell 15 metres to their death in a ravine. And the shepherds looked on in dismay when 1,100 more sheep followed them over the edge into this ravine. But 1,100 survived because they fell on the 400 who went over in the beginning and their lives were saved. Let me tell you a couple more interesting things about the intelligence of sheep. Sheep are better weather forecasters than anyone you can name on television today. And this is why. Sheep will graze with their backs to the wind. And where they spend the night, they know what the weather is going to be on the next day. So they go off to feed with the wind behind them and they know where they're going to spend the next night because they know what the weather is going to be the next day. I haven't seen any forecasters that can tell you anything as reliable as that. One Sunday morning when I was going around the sheep that had been put on my place to save their lives I saw a ewe that was separated from the rest of the flock and uh, she had had two lambs In the process of delivering those two lambs a crow had taken her left eye which of course traumatised her and I knew enough as to how to deal with the situation, so I went and got some gloves from my ute and put them on, and I hogtied the ewe, and then I picked her up and put her in the back of my ute, and then I went and got the two lambs. Of course, I needed gloves to carry them so that she didn't smell human, smell on her lambs, which meant she would reject them. And so those two lambs became among my best friends. And I'll tell you a bit more about them later. But I can recall another Sunday when I was going around my sheep. And again, I saw a solitary sheep. If there is something wrong with a sheep, they tend to separate themselves from the flock. And I could tell as soon as I saw this ewe, she was across just a little gully from where I was, so I stopped the bike and just sat there and watched. And she was about to have a lamb. And I saw anything but the behaviour of a dumb and stupid animal. She would walk around a little bit and then when she felt contractions, she would lie down And she started to deliver this lamb. Eventually the head was delivered. And then she rested for a while and I just sat there and watched. And after a little while she got up and walked around again. And when she got some more contractions she eventually delivered the, the the neck and the shoulders. And then she rested again. And I just sat from here to the doors of the church I suppose away from her. And after a while, she got up again, but then she moved because just behind her was a contour bank, if you know what a contour bank is like. And she knew that probably she was going to be able to deliver the lamb completely. And so she she walked around and then she walked to and backed up to this contour bank. And then when she felt the last lot of contractions, She squatted down and she gently lowered this lamb onto the contour bank. And I was just sitting on my motorbike watching. Then after a little while, she bit the cord and then she started to clean this little lamb up. First of all, licking its face And around its head. And she did that for some time. And then it was even more wonderful. Uh, After she'd finished cleaning up the lamb, and it was beautiful, white and clean and lovely. And then she turned around and she backed up to the lamb and she put a nipple in its mouth so it would get the vital colostrum that it needed to give it prevention from all sorts of diseases. And I thought, if only some of the people whose writings I had read had watched something like that, they would not think that a sheep was as dumb and as stupid as they had written... In John 10, verses 27 and 8, we read, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. It is so interesting that these dumb stupid, defenceless animals know a human voice. In the Middle East and in Eastern Europe among the people who lived there uh, there were enormous numbers of sheep. I mentioned to you about the wells in ancient Israel and Palestine and When they met at these wells to water the sheep, there were thousands of them. It's interesting that uh, the the, the high priest uh, Jethro had seven daughters, all of whom were graziers. And you might have ten or a dozen shepherds meeting at a well, and there was even some... uh, Men were even gentlemen in those days. The men would take the stones away from the well and they would draw water and they would, while the sheep were drinking, they would obviously talk. Apparently this was a wonderful meeting place for young shepherds and young shepherdesses. And after the sheep had been watered, One shepherd would walk away from the mob and would call their sheep. There may be five or ten thousand sheep, and there would be movement all among this vast mob. And the sheep that belonged to that shepherd or that shepherdess would make their way out of the mob and go to their shepherd. And then they would walk away. My sheep hear my voice and know me. Uh, In some of the flocks in Eastern Europe and Asia Minor, uh, where there were thousands, the shepherds had names for every one of them. And in these vast mobs of sheep, they would call out their names and you would see individual sheep making their way through the mob out to join their shepherd. The shepherds used to actually play games with their sheep. It's interesting too that uh, when you read about Bible times, the shepherds lived with their sheep day and night for days and weeks and months and they had folds for them the folds varied enormously if you look in the the back the top right hand left hand corner of that slide you will see some dark patches which are signs of a building the folds could be a, a line of stones and the sheep and the shepherd would go into that circle. The dogs would be guarding that circle on either side, and at night the sheep and the shepherds would sleep there. They also had many other things. In, Psalm, in 1 Samuel 23, when David was fleeing from Saul, Saul actually went into a large sheepfold. Some of them were quite enormous. Some had high stone walls and had just a small opening gateway. Apparently when the sheep were moving from pasture to pasture and they came to these big sheep folds, the sheep recognised them and they said that the bleating would be deafening as the sheep entered the safety of these folds, because they knew that there they would be safe for the night. When Saul uh, was fleeing, and when David was uh, wanting to find him, of course he found Saul in in the depths of one of these caves. They were so big that David had six hundred of his men, and this is where he cut off the uh, the bottom of Saul's skirt. But thankfully, he didn't go any further. If you have a lot to do with sheep, you find that you become very caring and protective of them. I mentioned to you about finding a ewe that had two lambs. That is what those two lambs became. I took them up to the house, I had made pens that I attached to the fences that were completely covered, except for the doorway, and they had nice hay in them, and lucerne and oats and water. And I put these two that you see here onto their mother so that they got colostrum and did that for many days. Uh, She didn't reject them completely, but she'd been traumatized. I syringed her eye socket and gave her uh, some penicillin, and she survived. And eventually she became uh, more connected with those lambs. But when I would ride round my sheep in the morning, in the evening, I would have a bottle in each pocket. And initially I'd go to the pen and I'd just give a bottle, to uh, the little you on the right, your right is sooty, and the the weather on the left is uh, stanley. They were given names by girls at school. I used to take them to school in a pen in the back of my ute and the girls would feed them at recess and lunchtime and after school and there would be the occasional bit of bleating as we were driving up the streets of Bathurst. But if you feed lambs, they will never forget you. And if I wanted to move my sheep to another paddock, I would simply... Walk down the land probably with a couple of wheat picks in my pockets, and uh, I would be invariably be spotted by Sooty and Stanley. And they would come over, be absolutely delighted to see you. And we would walk along, and I'd give them a wheat picks, and they'd be rubbing the sides of my overalls as we went along. It was all great fun, we had a lovely time. And we'd go and we'd open the gate walking to the next paddock, all the sheep would follow and I would talk to Sooty and Stanley for a while then I'd go back and go through the gate and it was just another very pleasant occasion. At the time that I was probably had about 500 breeding ewes I had lots of other land and one of the blocks of land was owned by a retired policeman and after a while they had been given a pet you, by a friend whom we called Adele. And Adele used to run with our sheep. We would shear her and feed her and uh, drench her and so on, just the same as we did to all the other sheep. And she and Stanley became great friends. Uh, She would stir him and annoy him. She'd butt him and push him and so on. And she'd... if. He was feeding. She would go and grab some of his feed and so on. When we left Perthville to come down to the Highlands in 1999, uh, my, my friend said to me, uh, oh, I will be happy to look after Stanley because you have looked after Adele for so long. And so that was, that was fine. Uh, Sooty lived for about seven years and had a lovely lamb, but that's another story. Uh, but she was about seven when she was bitten by a snake and died. But we came down to the highlands and left Stanley with our neighbour and with Adele. Toward the end of 2000, he rang me and said, Harold, i sorry, I've got some bad news for you. I went out into the shed and I found Stanley uh, lying on some hay and he, he was dead. And he said, uh, I will dig him a grave and bury him. So I thanked him for that. And he rang me a couple of hours later and he said, you wouldn't believe it. He said, when I went out and started to dig the grave for Stanley, uh, Adele was lying next to Stanley and she was dead. And so it makes you wonder... Um, if sheep can play, I wonder if sheep are capable of loving. When you think of Bible times and them playing with their shepherds, there is something about sheep. I wonder if there was some sort of sheepy love between Stanley and Adele. She was much younger than he was. He was 20 years old. Why did she die? If you ask me a question... Did I love my sheep? I would have to say yes. There is something about sheep. Why did I love them? Because they were defenceless. I remember a dog coming into our paddock, and the sheep formed a circle all facing outwards and when this dog went to come for them they stamped their feet furiously. That was their strongest method of attack. And so you really felt for them. I think most farmers love their animals. Did I care for them? Yes. In my first year I had one fly-blown sheep of those sheep that came onto my property first. In the remaining 19 years I never had a single fly-blown sheep. I found it so awful and so sickening in dealing with it. I determined that I would do things that meant that my sheep never got fly-blown and they didn't in 20 years. I knew my sheep and they knew me I wonder if you and I know the true shepherd the real shepherd does he know you because he knows you and me Do you know his voice? Does he speak to you through his spirit? And how do you respond when he speaks to you? Do you respond to him the way the sheep that we were talking about do in the Bible? I hope that you and I will really know Jesus, the true shepherd. And that we will always respond to his voice. Always.
0: This message was made available by the Barrel Seventh-day Adventist Church. For more resources like this, visit barreladventist.church.
2: Stewart Town End singing The Lord's My Shepherd. Coming up next, Fountain View Academy will sing Leaning on the Everlasting Arms.
0: Welcome to God's Favourite Shepherds, a collection of 39 short stories rounding out the lives of mainly lesser-known Bible characters, with many of the stories ending with a short quiz. Listen now to the author of God's Favourite Shepherds, Bill Ackland.
2: The story I would like to share with you today is entitled God's Favourite Shepherds, with the subheading Joy to the World. And this story is based on the second chapter of Luke. My name is Asher. Though you don't know me by that name, I am just one of many thousands of shepherds in the land of Israel. Some shepherds only do this work for what they are paid. They do not have any care for the sheep in their charge. My friends and I though, work for a wealthy farmer. We love the sheep in our care We treat them as though they belong to us and lead them to the very best places to the grass they like. When they need water, we know where there is a stream that flows slowly so they do not get frightened. Sheep never drink from a fast-flowing stream or river and if a flock of sheep become frightened, it takes much effort to get them to calm down and return to where they should be grazing. We have done this work for many years. Some shepherds among our group are much younger. We older men teach them the best way to look after the lambs and sheep. We have to know each one of them by name. In doing this, we give them each their own name, which they get used to when young lambs and only respond to the shepherd who has looked after them from their earliest days. The nearest town to where our flocks are located is Bethlehem, in the province of Judah known as Ephrata. Even though we are only shepherds, we have picked up from the conversations we have overheard in Bethlehem and the villages nearby talk of the Messiah, that he may be due to appear very soon, or so the prophets have said. We just wonder why the religious leaders have not mentioned this in their discourses in the synagogues, where we go on the sabbath when we can get some relief from our shepherding. And then something wonderful and quite amazing happened. The night was very cold. Our shepherd group huddled around some fires we had made to keep us warm. Suddenly we were dazzled by the brightest light that lit up the whole hillside where we were. As our eyes grew more accustomed to the light, what was happening on this dark night, we saw an angel from heaven standing before us who said, There is no need for you to be afraid, for I have the best news of all for you, which is not for you only, but for the whole world. For this night is born in the city of David a Saviour, Christ the Lord. When you go to look for him, this will be a sign for you, You will find him wrapped in baby clothes and lying peacefully in a feeding trough where cattle are kept. We could not sleep now that an angel had spoken to us. Indeed, we did not sleep again that night. The next thing that happened was incredible. We saw a choir of angels who sang the most beautiful song we had ever heard in a melody straight from the choirs in heaven. Never again did we hear such beautiful singing. I remember the words of the song, Glory to the great God, May there be peace on earth, and kind favour to all men. The glorious sight of the angel choir faded from us as they returned to heaven. We left the sheep where they were and ran down the hillside to Bethlehem. Guided by an angel, we found the place where the baby's earthly parents, Joseph and Mary, were. On one side... We saw the divine babe lying peacefully in the animal trough, for he had been born in a barn. When we saw him, we didn't know what to say, but Mary and Joseph knew how we felt, for they must have felt much the same way. We bowed down low before this little one, who would grow up to be the Messiah. Reluctantly, we left this special family and returned to minding the sheep and, out on the slopes around the town. As we made our way as quickly as we could up the hillside, we sang praises to God as we went. Never had a group of shepherds been so honoured by the great God of heaven and earth in sending his angels to tell us about the Holy One who had been born to be the Saviour of the world. Yes, we were only shepherds, but God's especially favoured shepherds. I now have a short quiz for you. What was the name given to the leading shepherd in this story? Do sheep drink from any kind of water? Was there one or more than one angel who appeared to the shepherds? Did the angel or angels only talk to the shepherds, sing or both? When did the shepherds go to see Jesus? And what was the name of the town where Jesus was born in?
0: You've been listening to God's Favoured Shepherds, a book with 39 short stories rounding out the lives of mainly lesser-known Bible characters. If you have any comments or questions or to obtain a copy of this book, give us a call within Australia on 02 4973 3456 or send an email to radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au We'd love to hear from you.
3: This story is entitled, Concert in the Middle of Nowhere. Jeremiah thirty-one thirteen says, for I will turn their mourning to joy, will comfort them and make them rejoice rather than sorrow. Traveling in the winter through Colorado can often mean trouble, but when you add a van full of teenagers and mechanical problems, you develop the perfect opportunity for a miracle. That is exactly what happened one bitter cold Sunday morning. The tired Daystar Academy choir members slowly awakened as their van slowed down to exit off the interstate for fuel. It was early morning, and they were about halfway through a 12-hour trip. As they stopped at the stop sign, the van began to make a strange noise. Something was terribly wrong. The van limped to a gas station and stopped. After the driving through the night, the students and staff were disappointed by this delay. Worse yet, they were in a small town in the middle of nowhere. Help would be hard to find. After a few phone calls, the staff realised that they would have to wait eight to nine hours for help from Daystar Academy. It was then that Mr Hicks, the choir director, decided to make a few additional phone calls. Opening the phone book, he found the number of a local non-denominational church and asked if they would like a concert. They were delighted and soon came to pick up the students at the truck stop. It was a small congregation, but each of the members was thrilled to have the students there. The pastor preached a sermon that inspired the students, then, tired as the students were, they gave a wonderful concert. God bless their efforts. Hearts were touched and tears sprang up in the eyes of the congregation. One man even shared with them that he had had a dream that a group of youth came to their church and a revival followed. After the concert, the students and congregation shared in both fellowship and a wonderful meal. By that time, arrangements had been made for all the students to go to the home of one of the students' grandparents. It was a joyful group that the grandparents picked up for trials had turned into blessings. Now the students were rejoicing because their van had broken down on a now not-so-bitter-cold Sunday morning in what was no longer the middle of nowhere. It was definitely somewhere somewhere in a little town where God had a big plan with some very special people and a miraculous event. A reflection associated with this story comes from The Desire of Ages, page 301. Blessed are the meek. The difficulties we have to encounter may be very much lessened by that meekness which hides itself in Christ. If we possess the humility of our Master, we shall rise above the slights, the rebuffs, the annoyances, to which we are daily exposed, and they will cease to cast a gloom over the spirit. The highest evidence of nobility in a Christian is self-control. He who under abuse or cruelty fails to maintain a calm and trustful spirit robs God of his right to reveal in him his own perfection of character. Lowliness of heart is the strength that gives victory to the followers of Christ. It is the token of their connection with the courts above. Concert in the Middle of Nowhere was written by Wendy Harris, who was the Director of Marketing at Daystar Academy in Castle Valley, Utah, when she wrote this story. You can visit daystaradventistacademy.org. For more information,
0: you've been listening to the book reading program by 3ABN Australia Radio, featuring Get Ready for a Miracle. For more information about this book, visit remnantpublications.com.
3: This program has been brought to you by 3ABN Australia Radio.